Our study today is entitled Passing of the Mantle, Passing of the Mantle. And we've been studying through the book of 1 Kings recently, and we're going to be closing off 1 Kings today and stepping into 2 Kings, okay? In the story today, we're going to be talking about the prophet Elijah once again and introducing a new character, Elisha. Okay. Wouldn't it be cool to have friends that just have names so similar and everyone's always going to get you like confused with one another? Well, we're going to be opening up today and looking straight into the book of 1 Kings and starting in chapter 19. Chapter 19. This is where we left off. This is where we left off with after Elijah had faced the prophets of Baal, remember? And then God sent down the fire from heaven to consume the altar, okay? And um, once that was done, we remember that Elijah had seized all the 450 prophets of Baal and had them brought down to the dried up river and they were slaughtered there. They were, they were killed because they had dishonored God and they were false prophets. So as a law called him to, they needed to be put to death. Okay. Now these 450 prophets of Baal, um, they belong to the king and queen. King Ahab and queen Jezebel. Okay. Ahab and Jezebel. So Jezebel heard about the news from Ahab, okay? And Jezebel's like, what? What? All my prophets are dead? And she's like, who did this? Who did this? And he's like, it was Elijah. Elijah did it. And um, all of a sudden, Jezebel's out for Elijah. I'm going to get him. He's been ruining our life. First the drought. Now my prophets. I want this man dead. He must be killed. Remember, Jezebel queen over northern kingdom Israel was um, she she didn't worship the God of heaven she only worshiped Baal okay so for her her God was um, so important to her she wanted to obliterate the worship of the God of heaven or the God of Israel amongst the Israelites so she had it with Elijah and starting in chapter 19 we see Elijah run now, you better believe he was running for his life. It's like, run, Elijah, run, okay, because there is no more safe place for you here. The queen's going to have all her people out looking for you, and she wants to kill you. So Elijah starts running, and he starts running, and he runs all the way back to Beersheba, okay, and um, she, he flees all the way to Beersheba in Judah, and he leaves his servant there, and he says, okay, stay here. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to travel another day because I'm not safe here. I'm going to travel into the wilderness one more day. So he gets out into the wilderness. And remember, he was in the wilderness before, wasn't he? After he, he confronted King Ahab, he was in the wilderness, and he had nothing to eat. Remember? And God provided food for him. How? The ravens. Remember? The birds came and fed Elijah. And something similar happened here when he was on the run. He's, first of all, he's down there in the wilderness. He's sitting under this juniper tree. And he's just like, I have nowhere to go. I got nothing to eat. I'm out on the run here. I've had enough of this. Just let me die. Just let me die, Lord. When is enough enough? After he's done complaining, he falls asleep. He must have been exhausted. Okay. 
he falls asleep, and then he wakes up to find an angel preparing food for him, bread and water. God mirac miraculously provides food for Elijah once again out in the wilderness. Now this food, it said that it lasted him, it gave him the strength that he needed to travel for the next 40 days and 40 nights. Imagine that, that must have been a really good meal. You know, like some superfood or something. And it's like, what food is gonna sustain you for 40 days and 40 nights? And he has to go and he has to travel somewhere very special to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. Okay, Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. Now we've heard of this mountain before, haven't we? Who was there first? Moses, right? This is where Moses met with God. This is where Moses led all the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. And they went to this mountain, and God met Moses on the mountain with all this fire and everything up there in the sky. And God spoke to Moses. How long were the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness? Do you remember? Forty years. What should have taken them a three days journey to get to where they were going? Three days. It took them how long? 40 years. No GPS, recalculating, <laughs> recalculating, recalibrating, recalibrating. So there they were, and there's something important about that number 40. There's something very important. It's a time of preparation. Anytime we see that number 40 in the Bible, it's referring to a time of preparation for a transition. Okay? Very important. Now, I'm turning 40 this year, and I am super excited because I'm like, Lord, you know, it's time for a change, you know. Life begins at 40, that's what they say, right? I wonder where that saying came from. Well, because there's a transition that normally happens that's very significant in the Bible with that number 40. We remember somebody else that was also in the wilderness for 40 days. Do you know who that was? Our Lord Jesus Christ was led out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. There, too, he was ministered to by angels, right? And we see here Elijah ministered to by angels. So we see a lot of parallels throughout Scripture. So finally, Elijah makes it all the way to Mount Horeb. And he gets there, and he finds a cave. And we're told that he dwells in that cave. And while he's dwelling there, you know, what do you do? There's no Netflix, there's no Wi-Fi. You're just kind of sitting around in a cave. <laughs> it's like, what, what are you gonna do? Play with sticks and rocks, perhaps. You know, play with, the, play with the animals. But what do you do in a cave? And while he's there, the voice of the Lord comes to Elijah and asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? And we see here in verse 10, 19 verse 10, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. It's interesting. He's on the run from Jezebel because they want to take away his life. And moments before this happened, where did we find him the 40 days prior to this? He's sitting under a juniper tree, asking God to just end his life, just take it away, I'm done. I don't know about you, 
Maybe you felt similarly to Elijah at some point in your life. When things got a little bit too hard, you might have sat there under the grace of a, some shade under, in this peaceful place in the midst of a wilderness, and you have a moment where you just sit before God and you complain your heart out. God, I can't take any more of this life. God, it's not fair that I have to deal with all this. Why can't you just, I'm ready to go. Just take me now. I've done everything you've asked me to do, God, but this is getting too hard, and you're ready to give up. It's interesting he was ready to give up, right? And then the next thing we see, God provides for him exactly what he needs to get through the transition, the 40 days and the 40 nights. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know if you feel like it's an impossible situation. But I hope you could find a place of peace and rest where you could sit before God and just pour your heart out. You don't have to prove to God that you're such a good Christian. You don't have to show God that you're worthy of his grace because that's what grace is. We're not worthy, but he gives it anyway. And I don't know if you're sitting there and you're just like, God, just get me through this. I can't take this anymore. Just end this. Rest for a while. Elijah, he slept. And when he woke up, God had something ready for him. All the provision that he needed to get through the transition. You're alive today for a reason. You took a breath today for a very important reason. God's not done with you yet. God has a plan for your life. And no matter what today brings, no matter what tomorrow brings, trust that God is providing your every need and he's ready to carry you through any transitions in life that you're going to be facing. Okay? So he gets to this mountain and he's in that cave. God asks him, why are you here? He goes, I'm all alone. Everybody else has forsaken you. I'm the only one left. He believed he was the only one left. God tells him in verse 11, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. A great wind came, a windstorm came and passed by. And after the windstorm, came an earthquake that shook the earth, and the, the wind and the earthquake caused the rocks on the mountain to start falling off. The mountain was being torn apart by the wind, and then the earth shook beneath him. And then after the earth shook, a great fire came and passed by. But the Lord was not in them. These all preceded the Lord. And once all this storm and all these majestic, splendiferous things were before him, silence, a still, small voice, a quiet, blowing wind, there was God in the silence and in the stillness. There's a Hebrew term, kol demama daka. It literally means a sound of gentle stillness. Isn't that beautiful? A sound 
of gentle stillness. In other parts of the Bible, you know, they talk about being still and knowing that God is God, and that's talking about trust and about not trying to do things in your own strength and your own power, but trust that God is still working, that God is still God. Kul demama daka, a sound of gentle stillness. The Lord told Elijah, What are you doing here, Elijah? He asked him again. And Elijah said the same thing. I'm the only one left. All of Israel has forsaken you. Nobody is serving you. I'm the only one serving you. They have, they're all rebellious against the Mosaic covenant, the law that you gave to Moses on this very mountain. And here I am before you, God. What is your word? He covered his face when he heard, imagine, there's all that storm and everything happening and he bears witness to it. And when that stillness and that wind blowing came, he covered his face and came before the Lord and had this conversation with him. I want to talk about this cold de mama daka. Now, why wasn't the Lord in the earthquake? Why wasn't he in the fire? Why wasn't he in the, the wind, the windstorm? These are all very spectacular things, right? Very loud, very distracting, you know? Elijah said that he was zealous for the Lord. And remember the sort of prophet Elijah was? He wasn't the shy prophet that quietly did things. He was brave. He was strong. He was hairy. And he had a, a leather belt around him. And he'd approach the king without fear. Ahab, Ahab, come on out here, you know. And he was in your face. He was that sort of zealous prophet. So imagine all that being out there, being loud. And he felt like he was the only one that was still serving the Lord. Maybe his tactics weren't what God needed at this point anymore. And the transition was to shift Elijah from this loud, blaring prophet and realize that in his stillness that God could still speak, that God's truth can still be revealed. That, Elijah, I don't need you to get in the way of my message anymore. We're going to shift your zealous way, and there's going to be a more peaceful way that I'm going to do things. Now, when I heard that this is like a, a gentle blowing, when God created man, okay, when God created man, what did he do after he formed the body of the man from the dust? He bowed down and breathed face to face the breath of life, blowing into him and bringing life to this dead body. Similarly, when God speaks to us in that still, small voice, when he speaks his truth to us in that still, quiet blowing, life comes to us through his word. Life comes to us through his spirit, and we become awakened spiritually. We become spiritually alive, you see. We cannot understand the things of God on our own. 
You could read the Bible and say, I heard from God. No, you just read a book. Okay? But to understand the truth and the meaning and all the importance behind what's written there, God's Spirit whispers that into our spirit so that we can know him, so that we can understand his truth as we sit and listen in the stillness to his quiet, prompting voice. Isn't that beautiful? Now, the law was already given to Moses. God didn't have to give this to Elijah. And Elijah was trying to uphold all of the, the covenant that God had already given. So here, God gives Moses just three things. He commissions him to do three things. Anoint two more kings and find a man named Elisha and make him the prophet after you. So that's all he needed to do. That's all that he was commissioned to do. Okay? So he goes, and he listens to God. Okay. God sends him from there and leads him to this place. And in verse 19, we're introduced finally to this next prophet, Elisha. Now, Elisha was found in a field plowing with his oxen. And there were about 12 pairs of oxen there. And um, Elisha, he was there with the last pair of oxen. Okay. Just so you have a, a picture of what it looks like, the oxen would be side by side, and they have the yoke that keeps them balanced, right? And then you have him there behind plowing the ground. And as the other 12 pairs of oxen had passed by, when it came to that 12th, Elijah takes his mantle, his cloak, and he covers over Elisha, signifying you're going to be my successor. I want you to come and follow me. Okay? So this is how Elisha was called. He was designated as a successor. Imagine, you're just going about your work one day. You know, maybe you're bagging groceries at the grocery store. And, you know, as you're bagging stuff, maybe along comes this one guy, and he's like, hey, listen, here's my coat. Come, follow me. You're going to be working for me now. You don't have to bag the groceries anymore. You know? You're just going about your regular day, and you have no idea what to expect. If I were Elisha, I'd be like, why me? Why am I chosen? I mean, there are other people plowing in this field, right? Maybe it's because his name sounded like Elijah. You know, I don't know. We don't know, but for some reason, God chose Elisha, and Elijah was simply obeying God, right? Go find this man and he'll be your successor. So, Elisha's there, and he leaves the oxen, and he runs and tells Elijah, listen, before I follow you, I just want to go back and kiss my mother and father. Okay, just let me go back to them first. And Elijah says, okay, go. But as you go, don't forget the call of the Lord. It's very important that you don't become distracted by these earthly desires or other earthly concerns because the call of God on your life is so important. God wants you to stay focused to this calling. But go back. Say goodbye to your mother and father. So he goes back home and he takes along his pair of oxen, right? There's nobody else to plow with these oxen anymore. So what does he do? He slaughters the oxen, prepares a really good meal, and it's like the biggest uh, farewell party, right? A despedida, right? And, and he says, listen, um, see, there's no more oxen for him to plow with, right? 
So he is making a statement before his family and his friends. Listen, this is a, a decision that I'm very definite about that I'm making. I, I'm going to do this. I love you all, but I'm not coming back. I have an important calling over my life. I'm going with the prophet Elijah. Okay? This guy's got style, right? And we see Elisha follow Elijah, they say, as a servant. But a more appropriate word would be as an aide, right? Um, as his helper. And it's very similar to the relationship between Moses and Joshua. So as Moses, as Elijah resembled Moses, so Elisha resembled Joshua in many ways. And we're going to see more of this as we continue to study on. Now, I've mentioned before that there's very little that was ever said about Elijah, where he comes from, his family. You know, we don't know anything about his life before he showed up on the scene with King Ahab. And his name is well known, but his story in the Bible is so short. And there's very little detail. After he picks up Elisha, there's only one more thing we hear about with Elijah. He ends up confronting King Ahab a second time. Okay? But here's why. King Ahab covets Naboth's vineyard. Now, I found that this chapter, chapter 21, is so weirdly placed in the whole book because the book is about kings and wars and prophets, and in the middle of all this is the story of a vineyard. It's almost like a parable, right? It's parabolical. Is that a word? Yeah, I, I like that word, parabolical, right? It sounds like that sort of story. And um, here King Ahab is, but he's a different sort of King Ahab than we've read about in the past. The other King Ahab was very rebellious, and he didn't care, and he wanted to please Jezebel. But this King Ahab, he's sitting there, and he's looking over the fields, and he sees, oh, there's a nice vineyard over there. I'd like to plant my vegetables there. So he's looking at his neighbor's field, and he's coveting his neighbor's field. Do you remember another king that stood on his rooftop and coveted something that belonged to his neighbor? David and Bathsheba, right? Like everybody knows this story already. And it's a very similar thing that's happening here. King Ahab is sitting at the top of his castle looking around, and he sees this vineyard. I want that vineyard. So he goes down, and he confronts Naboth there. And Naboth says to him, King, this is my inheritance. This is my family's vineyard. And it, what you're doing, it's not lawful. It is forbidden. Uh, God forbids me to give this to you. You should not be coveting what your neighbor has. So he's a lawful man, poor and simple. But he had a good vineyard, apparently. This was choice land. No wonder King Ahab wanted it. So when Naboth refuses, King Ahab, guess what he does? He starts to sulk and whine and complain like a child. But I want it. No, what do you mean I want it? You know, you see little kids? That's the sort of King Ahab we see here. His queen Jezebel sees him. Oh, okay, Ahab, calm down. Mommy will take care of everything. <laughs> Uh, Jezebel, she's a wicked woman. She's got a mean streak on her, right? So she devises some wicked plan. 
and she gets two witnesses to falsely testify against Naboth, saying that Naboth had cursed God, cursed the God of Israel. And because of that, he needed to be put to death. So remember, with King David and Bathsheba, something very similar. Something was getting in the way of what he wanted, and he needed to die. Here, something was getting in the way of the king possessing the vineyard, so the owner needed to die. Okay? So you're hearing this story. And he's murdered. King Jez uh, Queen King Jezebel. Queen Jezebel takes care of everything. When this happens, the prophet Elijah again just, I guess, he appears. God sends him there. He knows exactly what happened, right? And he confronts King Ahab. King Ahab, what you have done here is a horrible thing. And where the, he tells him, where the dogs are licking the blood of Naboth, so the dogs will lick the blood of kings in the same place. Saying, King Ahab, your line is coming to an end. You have no more kingdom. You have no more rule. When King Ahab hears this, we see something very different about how he responds. He genuinely repents. He feels the sorrow of what he's done. Remember, it was Jezebel that killed, had, had Naboth killed. When he learned of what happened, he genuinely, he felt sorrow and he repented. You know those verses in the Bible that say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And then Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And there's an opportunity of God's grace here, you see. What happened to King Ahab here after he genuinely repented, there was a stay of execution for him, so he didn't have to be executed. But the evil was passed on for when his son, Joram, became king. And then Joram died Guess where? In that vineyard. Okay? Now, I don't want to spell anything out for you. But this is a weird story placed in the middle of the book of Kings. And it's a vineyard, once again. Vineyard, the vine is so important in, in the Jewish literature. Remember Jesus, he, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Right? And there's something about this this vine picture in this sort of story that we need to pay attention to. So I'd encourage you on your own time to discover what it is in this story, how does that relate to the story of Jesus, okay? I don't want to spell it out for you. This is something I want God to reveal to you as you seek this truth, okay? But I thought it was cool because Elijah showed up on the scene, right? And he did his job, and that was like the last thing he did. before going to heaven. So we go over to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. And here we see Elijah as he is being prepared to be taken up to heaven. Who's traveling here? We got Elijah and Elisha traveling together. And they went from place to place and they went to this one town, and Elijah says to Elisha, listen, stay here. It's time for me to go soon. Stay here. And Elisha had this 
phrase, which is just so endearing and so beautiful. And it shows uh, this faithful um, submission, this faithful dedication to his master, right? Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He kept saying that. So then they went on traveling together again. And they went three different towns. From Gilgal to Bethel, all the way to Jericho. That was a total of about 20 miles travel. Okay, 20 miles, not kilometers. That's pretty long. Right? Imagine walking 20 miles with somebody. And you're going to be taken away. You know that the Lord is going to come and take you away. And here's this other guy, and he's following you. He's going to be left behind. As a master, I'd be like, listen, I want you to be taken care of. Just stay here in this town. You'll be okay here. And he's like, nope, I don't need to be okay here. I'm following you. Where you go, I go. Right? Remember another story that we studied in the Bible? Ruth and Naomi, how Ruth faithfully followed her mother-in-law and would not leave. She stayed committed, right? Dedicated, faithfully following. I don't know. If I was Elisha, I wouldn't want to be left either. You know, here's my master. I gave up my entire life, and now you're going to leave me? I don't know what Elisha's thing was. Maybe he's like, are you really just leaving me here, and are you giving up? How will I know that the Lord will actually take you, you know? It's like, I'd want to know. <laughs> well, that's just me. If I were Elisha, I'd want to know where my master is going and what that's going to mean for me. So as they're traveling, there were about 50 sons of prophets, it said. 50 sons of the prophets. And they came up to Elisha and asked him, listen, did you know, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? And he said, shh, I don't need to know this. Be still. He's saying, listen, I don't want to hear it. I already know about this. But that little detail in the story tells us that God revealed to these sons of prophets that, he would, that Elijah would be taken up. So God was speaking to other people as well, Right? God spoke to these people. It was revealed to Elisha. So there's confirmation. This is what's going to happen. So as they travel, these 50 sons of prophets followed behind them. And they come over to the Jordan River. And they're watching from a distance as Elijah and Elisha continue to stand by the Jordan River. It's like, what are we doing here? Elijah takes off his mantle. And he rolls it up and winds it up into something that's like a rod. And he strikes the Jordan River, and the waters separate. And there's dry ground for them to pass through onto the other side. Does that sound familiar? Yeah? So we heard about the crossing of the Red Sea, right? And it was the same thing. There was a rod that was present, Moses' rod. You know, he's holding up Moses and Aaron there. And... Um, it was the power of God that split the waters, right? And there's something significant. Why was it the mantle? You know, why didn't God tell Elijah, use a walking stick? No, he said, use a mantle. Boom. And then the water split open. There's something very significant about this mantle. 
Imagine if you were one of the 50 sons <laughs> standing there watching. Whoa! Look at the water split. Imagine going to Niagara Falls. And, and, and then all of a sudden, someone just like throws their coat in the water, and their coat causes the water to like split. <laughs> You'd be like, what? What madness is this, you know? But they all knew that Elijah was a prophet of God, so they knew this must be the hand of God. Okay? They witnessed it for themselves. That's a beautiful thing. This isn't just a story. There were witnesses. Witn many witnesses to confirm the story. Okay? But before Elijah was taken up, he, he turns to Elisha and says, Listen, is there anything that I can do for you before the Lord takes me? Right? It's almost like those final parting words. And the relationship between the Elijah and Elisha was much like a father and a son, a spiritual father and a spiritual son. And in Israel, it was very important. The firstborn son had um, a double portion of the inheritance, right? So it wasn't strange then for Elisha to ask him, yes, before you go, I just ask for a double portion of your spirit. What? <laughs> Elijah's like, um, okay, I was thinking maybe I could give you my sandals, you know? But it's like a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah was quiet. And he said, that is a hard thing that you ask. That is a hard thing that you ask. Because the power in Elijah's spirit was coming from whom? It was coming from God. Okay? So it wasn't Elijah's to give. Okay? He didn't possess anything. He was just a vessel for God's power to flow through. So he couldn't say, okay, when I go, here, take my portion of God's spirit. That's, that's not how it works. He can't do that. It's not his to give. So he said, listen, that's a hard thing that you ask, Elisha, but if you watch me, if you keep your eyes and you see me as I ascend, then that'll be a sign that you will be granted the double portion of my spirit. But if you do not see me, then you will not have it. Okay? So Elisha, you better believe, he was like, if I'm going to be the successor of this great prophet Elijah, I don't know, he was feeling insecure, he was feeling inadequate, you know, maybe I need what Elijah has to be able to continue this work. I can't do this in my own power, I can't do this in my own strength, it's going to be way too difficult. So you better believe where Elisha's eyes were, watching his master all the time. And as they continued to walk those last few moments, a big whirlwind started around them. And fire was flashing down from the heavens. And the fire had the form of a chariot and horses. A chariot and horses of fire coming down from the heavens and the, the whirlwind separated them. And it scooped up Elijah, bringing him away from Elisha. And as Elijah was being taken up, Elijah's eyes stayed on him. And Elijah dropped his mantle, dropped his cloak for it to fall to Elisha's feet. And he watched and he watched until his master was no more in sight. 
the double portion of his spirit was being granted to him. Now, sometimes you think that that news is going to be, it's too, too good to be true. I saw him go. Does that mean that I have the double spirit? Like, you want to check. You want to, you want to test it out, right? And he's like, yo, I even have his mantle, you know. But before he took hold of that mantle, you know what he did? He tore his own clothes in two. And then he took up his master's mantle. He took that mantle and he saw the sons of the prophets standing on the other side of the Jordan River. And he did the same thing that Elijah did. He took the mantle, rolled it up like a rod, smacked it in the water. I could imagine for a moment, he stood there wondering, is this going to happen? This is going to be really embarrassing if this doesn't happen. You know, I think I have the power of God, but I don't know. I'm not sure. And he hits the water. And for a brief moment, there was enough time for him to ask this question. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? That tells me that there was a moment of waiting. There was a moment of uncertainty where he struck the water and then he asks, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then the waters started to part. And then he started to walk back towards the others over the dry ground. Imagine 50 men cheering and hooting and hollering and bowing down in worship and praising God because God has granted them another prophet to lead the way for his people. You might feel inadequate. You might feel like God can't use you. You might feel like you don't have what it takes. But friends, remember when our Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens, he commissioned his followers to go and continue to the work that he had started. Now, what is the mantle, the significance of that mantle? There's all this language, friends, in the New Testament that talks about putting off your old self, just as Elisha tore his garment in two, and then he took up the cloak of his master, and that's what he wore, and everybody saw that mantle, and they knew that's the prophet of the Lord. When we put off our old self, we're supposed to put on Christ. Our new self is our, the person, the identity we have in Christ. So the mantle that we wear, when they look at us, it shouldn't be, wow, Tim's a loud singer. Tim's a <laughs> terrible talker. You know, they should be seeing, wow, you know what? That person has Christ's life all over them. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So we're meant to put on Christ. And as we live our life day by day, it's not in our own strength or in our own power, but we rely on God for the strength that we need. Remember, he will provide all the strength you need in order for you to accomplish anything he calls you to do. It's like an angel bringing food and water to you in your time of need, and it sustains you. This is a beautiful story, friends. A beautiful story with so many parallels throughout Scripture, from the garden to the cross and to the future telling of the time that we will all be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds and meet him in the air. Amen? Elijah, he symbolizes, um, there's debates about what he symbolizes. But one of the things that's 
always been close on my heart was that he symbolized all the righteous living who would not die when Jesus comes again, right? I just thought that was a beautiful thing. I hope and pray that I get to be alive <laughs> when Jesus comes and to be amongst, you know, to, to see it all happening and not miss a thing. I want to be like Elisha that stands and waits in wonder and awe and trusting and believing that what God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, God's going to use you, friends, in a powerful and mighty way. You might not feel like it today. You might just be bagging groceries or plowing the field with the oxen. But God, God has a call on all of our lives. And if we've answered the call, have we made a definite, definitive decision to leave behind our old self and walk and follow our master? It's my prayer, friends, that you would all learn the lesson of discipleship, learn the lesson of faithful following and trusting in God, allowing him to speak to you in a still, small voice. Let's all stand. You might be standing here today you might be standing here today wondering, when is my miracle going to happen? You know? When is God going to do this great thing in my life? God has already done the greatest miracle, friends. He's given us the biggest sign that we'd ever need. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to take away the penalty for our sins. And then he raised his son, Jesus Christ, back to life. To give us hope, knowing that our God is a God of life, the God of miracles, the God who lives, the God of healing, the all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present God. And when this God whispers into your heart, when this God whispers your name and calls you, friends, are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs>